2 Kings chapter 2, and I want to read the first 12 verses. And I, I just want to share a message this morning simply entitled, The Storm is Not Going to Tear Us Up, But the Storm is Going to Take Us Up. It came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophet went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was vited this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father... My father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them into two pieces. That was Chuck Gager. You remember he was the pilot that broke the sound barrier in 1947, flying Mach 1. There were a number of accidents, and even some pilots lost their lives trying to break the sound barrier. Of course, they fly much faster than that nowadays, but only because these brave men broke those barriers could now we do what we do and he said that when he, they would get up to almost to that place of 0.99 where you were almost to that place of breaking that barrier that that little airplane rocket ship whatever you want to call it would just shake and it would and a lot of the pilots would back off but if you've noticed in the movie what he did is he pressed through all of that shaking and all that adversity and when that thing hit Mach 1 it released a sonic boom that they'd never heard before, and it smoothed out. And that's where many of us are at today. We're ready to get to our point of breakthrough, and just when we get up there almost to the point where we're going to break through, everything around us just begins to shake, and the winds begin to blow, and the storm comes. And what we do is if we're not careful, we'll draw back in fear. But I've come this morning to tell you that the storm is not going to tear you up, but God has designed the storm to take you up. When you read this passage of scripture, there's two individuals in this story that are two of the most fascinating characters in all the word of God, Elijah and Elisha. They were both prophets with a supernatural ministry that were characterized by supernatural miracles. Both of these great men of God raised the dead, worked miracles, and worked to change their society. 
Elijah was known as God's no-name prophet. He just enters the scene out of nowhere in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. He pronounces a drought in the courts of the wicked king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. And God answers Israel's worst king by raising up one of the world's greatest and most powerful prophets in all the Old Testament. But his successor is a man by the name of Elisha. And he was known as the prophet of the double portion. And because he asked for a double portion of the mantle of the prophet Elijah when he was taken up into, a, into heaven in a violent windstorm in a whirlwind. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, we have one of the most exciting epics in the Bible. His life and his ministry was marked by the miraculous, talking about Elijah. And this miraculous account joins with the story of Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. The Bible said Enoch was not because God took him away. And there are two individuals in the Old Testament that did not taste death, but they were taken to heaven. I believe that is a preview of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a glimpse of what awaits the New Testament church. We call this event the rapture of the church. See, the rapture was a mystery that was revealed to us in the New Testament. We learn in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, Paul says, This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. I believe that the Lord is coming back. Can you say amen? This morning, I want to approach this storm from a different perspective. I want you to notice that there is an impending storm in 2 Kings 2.11. Listen to what it says. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire separating the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind in heaven. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a whirlwind. I don't know if you've ever seen chariots of fire. But I believe that was a violent breakthrough that came that day there was a violence attached to that why because the bible said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence but the violent take it by force there was a violence involved in this it was a storm that came horses of fire separated the two of them and elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven elijah was taken into heaven by violent whirlwind Elisha watched and saw God in the midst of this violent, stormy whirlwind. And in 2 Kings 2, 12, it said, Elisha saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. Elisha was to be the successor of Elijah. He was to complete the task of revival that Elijah had started when he killed the prophets of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel. And in 1 Kings 19, 16, the Lord told Elijah, he said, go and anoint Elisha the son of Shaphat as a prophet in your place. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, we learned that this particular day was the day that the prophet Elijah was to be caught up into the presence of the Lord. Now, there's something to be said about that. This man was so in tune with the Spirit of God and had such a relationship that he knew and understood the timing of God. Today's the day that God's about to take me home in a whirlwind. And he understood the timing of God. I want you to notice that the Bible tells us that Elisha followed him closely. 
Their first stop is in a place called Gilgal. And at Gilgal, Elijah turns to Elisha and he makes this statement. He said, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, oh, no, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I believe God's looking for some people this morning who will press in and surrender completely to his will. You're going to be tempted at this experience. You're going to be tempted at this place in life. We're going to stay right here. But God's saying, I have more. I have more than just Gilgal. I have more than just Bethel. I have a Jericho waiting on you. I have a Jordan waiting on you. And God's looking for somebody this morning that's willing to pay the price to surrender all and say, I'm not going to camp out where I'm at. I'm not going to settle at the place that I'm at spiritually, but I'm going to press into all that God has for me. He says, as the Lord lives... And as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Their journey continues and takes them through Bethel, then on to the cursed city of Jericho and over across the Jordan River. And at each stop, Elijah makes the same request to his successor, Elisha. Stay here, please. And when they entered into Bethel, the sons of the prophet, let me tell you who the sons of the prophets are. We understand that Samuel started a school. You remember when he anointed King Saul. And Saul began to prophesy. He went out to the sons of the prophets and began to prophesy. There was a prophetic school that had existed since the days of Samuel. They were called the sons of the prophets because they were not fathers in the natural. They were fathers in the spiritual. And these were students that learned how to be prophets. Schooling and education has existed since the Old Testament. These 50 sons of the prophets are there, this school in Bethel. And again in Jericho, the sons of the prophets who were there, they were content to watch from a distance. Now, why did Elisha make the same request three times of Elisha? Because Elijah wanted to know if Elisha was willing to pay the price for what he desired. You see, if you're willing to pay the price for what you desire, God will allow you to have it. Are you willing this morning to follow God everywhere he leads you? There's a price to pay if we're going to go to a new level in the things of God. And Elisha was determined to follow him since a dying person would often pronounce blessings on others. And Elisha did not want to miss his moment of opportunity. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to miss my moment of opportunity. So when they miraculously crossed over the Jordan River, they stood on the other side. Elijah asked Elisha, he said, what must I do for you? What may I do for you before I'm taken away? And Elisha answers him, he said, I want a double portion of the spirit that is upon you. Now, why did Elisha want a double portion of the spirit of Elijah? So he could be better known, so he could have a larger ministry, so he could have a larger financial base? No. Why did he want a double portion? The double portion blessing was the privilege of the firstborn. Elijah had already been anointed, but and it was already established that he was going to succeed this great man of God. But when Elisha realized the awesome task that awaited him, he cried out. He said, I can't do this within myself. I can't do this with the anointing I've got. Yesterday's anointing is not sufficient for today's battle. I've got to have a double portion of the anointing that's upon you in order to accomplish what God has called me to do said I want a double portion how many of you ready for a double portion of God's portion? how many of you this morning need a fresh anointing from the Lord Elijah told Elisha you've asked a hard thing now in the original language here's what he said 
He said, you have staked a great claim. You have staked a great shatakoshalamahatai. This was more than just a request. This was a prayer. I'm claiming a double portion. I'm going to have a double portion of your anointing. He's not saying, please, would you give me a double? He's saying, I'm staking a claim, glory to God. Baal is not going to win out in Israel. Asherah is not going to win out in Israel. Idolatry is not going to win out in Israel. This revival is not dying with the prophet. But God's about to do something like he's never done before. We're about to have a move of God unprecedented in this nation. And I'm staking a claim saying I'm going to have a double portion of the anointing of God. I don't believe that these young people ought to have a lesser revelation. I believe every generation ought to have a greater revelation. They ought to know things about God that we don't know. They ought to discover things about God we've never discovered. We ought to help them, train them, love them, bless them, and pray for them, but not pray that they'll just carry on the work. Pray that God will give them a double portion of outpouring of his spirit, and they will see things we never saw. Wouldn't it be awesome? God sent this young man to Trinidad. And out of the goodness of his heart, he takes me with him. He travels down into villages, six, 7,000 people, preaches the gospel in the square of that village, and the whole village gets saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Blinded eyes open, deaf ears unstopped. Double portion. So Elijah said to him, okay, you've asked a hard thing. You've staked a great claim. Here's the condition. If you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you, but if not, it will not be so. Now, why was that difficult? Because there's a violent storm swirling around. The winds, the violence, the horses. Most of us, would have, we'd be taking pictures of the horses. And then we'd write a book about, I saw the horses. But Elisha fixed his eyes on the prophet. See, if you stake a great claim this morning, you got to put your eyes on Jesus. You can't look to the left, you can't look to the right, you can't be moved by what happens, you can't be moved by what's said, you can't be moved by what goes on. You got to keep your eyes focused on him. You got to rehearse the promises of God, stake your claim, stand your ground, and believe God until the breakthrough comes. So why is it important? Because we have to keep our priorities in the midst of the storm. I got two things, let me share them with you. First of all, he encountered a violent windstorm. All of us will encounter storms in our personal walk and relationship with the Lord. These storms can be violent, and many times they come suddenly. They come without warning. Storms can come from the three different sources. Number one, storms can come from God. Now, I know that might mess with some of your theology, but I'm going to prove it here in a moment. Number two, it can come from our own making. Sometimes just the things we do. And third, they can come from the enemy. Throughout the word of God, God's people have encountered storms. And some of you are encountering storms in your life today. The Bible Cyclopedic Index defines a storm as a violent upheaval of nature. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 11, God sent hail to destroy the Amorites. And God may send a storm not to destroy you. He may send a storm to destroy your enemy and deliver you out of the enemy's hand. In Psalms 55, the psalmist tells us that we must cast our burden upon the Lord during the storm. In verse 8, it says, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. How many of you need deliverance from a storm today? Say amen. 
My prayer is the same as the psalmist in Psalms 55 verse 6. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Sometimes you just need to spread your wings and and rise above the shadows and the sorrows that surround you. In Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. I believe that before we leave here today, that many of you are going to experience healing from the wings of the Son of Righteousness that's about to arise on your behalf. This storm was a storm from God. It was designed to bring greater victory and to propel Elisha into a greater ministry and anointing. God has sent certain storms into your life so that he can bring you into a greater promotion and a greater anointing in his kingdom. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else I hear that say this morning, I want you to listen to this. The very thing that the enemy has meant for your destruction can become the thing that God uses for your promotion. The thing the enemy sought to kill you with is the thing that God's going to use to resurrect you with. David faced Goliath. Goliath said, they mocked me. They've sent a teenage boy out here to do a man's job. He said, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. David said, you came to me with a spear and a sword, but he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And the thing that was meant for David's destruction became the very thing that made people sing about him. The storm that you're encountering today is a storm that the enemy's tried to use against you, but God's going to turn it around on your behalf, and what the enemy meant for your destruction, God's going to use for your breakthrough. I just simply want to say the storm's not going to tear you up, but the storm's going to take you up. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, Jesus and his disciples encounter a storm as they were journeying over the Sea of Galilee to the country of the Gadarenes. They were crossing over into the devil's territory. When you cross over into the devil's territory, you're going to encounter a storm. I've come by to encourage some of you, tell you that the storm's about to cease. The winds are about to stop. And you're going to find yourself on a higher level, standing on a new hill, a higher place, with a greater anointing than you've ever experienced. When Jesus encountered the storm, he stepped out on the bow of the boat and he rebuked the winds and he made the winds be still. This storm was satanic in origin because it was designed to keep him from crossing over to the other side to deal with the man that was living in the tombs, the maniac of Gadarene. But I've come to tell you this morning, there's some of you that have divine destiny in your life. You've been called to work for God. And I believe that every gift and miracle that we need is already in this house. We don't have to go outside the house. We don't have to go down the street. Everything we need, God's already placed it in the house. And sometimes God's trying to release it. And when he tries to release it, there's a storm that comes that tries to prevent it. But what we do is we press through. We stake a great claim. And we declare the word of the Lord. And we refuse to give up until we press through to our breakthrough. And the storm that was meant to tear you up now is the storm that takes you up Satan knows that about you he knows you're a threat to his kingdom so he's designed a violent storm to intimidate you and bring you into bondage to fear but I have good news Jesus himself is on the bow of your boat and he's about to rebuke the storm so that you can go to the new place of intimacy in your walk of faith I want to tell you storms can come without warning you can just be going along in life feel like everything's going good And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, sickness, child gets hurt, 
something happens in our life. You're going to have storms in your life. And that brings me to my second point. I want you to see his victorious response to the storm. It's not that storms won't come. The Bible said no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Didn't say weapons wouldn't be formed against you. Storms are coming. Jesus said the foolish man built his house on the sand. The wise man built his house on the rock. And he said this, when the storms came. Didn't say if they came. He said when they came. There's some storms coming in your life. You have to learn how to respond to that storm. So notice verse 3 said, And the sons of the prophet who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. In verse 7, the scriptures reveal that 50 men of the sons of the prophet went and stood facing them from a distance. But in verse 8, we learn that Elisha followed Elijah through the Jordan. I want you to note that these... Fifty sons of the prophet didn't want to have anything to do with the storm. You want everything God has for you? Then you must be willing to cross over the Jordan and encounter the storm. I want to tell you something. A lot of folks will watch the storm from a distance, but there are very few who will stake a great claim and say, Bless God, I'm going right in the midst of that violent windstorm, and I'm going to have what God said I can have. I'm going to have a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. I'm going to do what God said I can do. I'm going to press in until I have everything that God says I can have. Hey! There are two responses to this storm. One is the response of Elisha, and the second is the response of the sons of the prophet. Elisha knew that he was about to receive his double portion. Verse 11 says, It happened as they continued on in talk, and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. He got separated, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And I want you to note that this storm came suddenly, and it carried violent winds. Why? There's always a violence in the spirit when God visits in power to minister to his people. That's why revival's always messy. People say, I, I want revival, but I want to get out at 12 noon. You're not going to have revival. Verse 12, we have Elisha's response. He cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in pieces. But in verse 16, we have the response of the 50 sons of the prophets. They said to him, look now. There are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master. Lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them out. Now, the 50 sons of the prophets saw the storm. God help me to say this. And they set out to search for his body. They said, that might be a storm for God, but there's no way that he could have survived that storm. God either threw him down on a mountain and his body is somewhere dead on a mountaintop and we better go look for the body of the man of God. They spent three days looking for the body of Elijah. Some of you have gone through such devastating storms that the people around you said, there's no way you can survive it. They've written your obituary. Oh, Shabbatai. I mean, they've already got it ready to publish in the paper, and they're looking for your body, but the storm didn't tear you up. The storm was designed to take you up. Hey. I've had them write my obituary and say, you'll never make it, but God will have the last word. It's not over that God says it's over. I love Nahum 1.3. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. First Peter 1, 5 through 7, listen to this. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be. You've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You serve God long enough, you're going to walk through some fiery trial. The accuser of the brethren is going to come. He's going to bring up your past. He's going to rehearse all the things that you did. He's going to try to draw you back down in the identity that you used to have. Somebody told me, said, new levels, new devils. I said, no, no. New levels, new devils plus old devils confederated. They get together. Listen to me. You come up here and get a word from God. You leave here flying high. Woo, hallelujah. I'm going to the nations. And all next week, you be thinking, where's that word? What God say? Did I miss it? Why? Because the enemy will move against it. It's going to be tested. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament? I love the story of Joseph. Joseph has dreams. He's his father's favorite. Joseph had dreams. He went and told his brothers, I dreamed that y'all were bound down to me. He had the word of the Lord over his life. And Psalms 105 said, the word of the Lord tested him. Elisha staked a great claim. But the word of the Lord tested him. The storm came. And he could have been destroyed in the storm. He could have been caught up with all the noise of the storm. But he said, I'm going to have that new anointing that God has for me. I'm going to have a double portion of the spirit of Elijah in my life so I can accomplish what God's called me to. As you endeavor to live for God, walk this path of faith, gain your healing, the enemy's going to come. He's going to try to pull you back down into the person you used to be. He's going to drag up your past. He's going to assault your mind. He's going to come into your thought life. He's going to try to pull you back down into that identity of who you used to be. See, you can't take your mountain with an identity from yesterday. God will make a promise to you, then he goes to work on you because he's trying to bring forth a new anointing. He's trying to bring forth a new identity because he wants you to be able to, to possess what he's called you to possess. And that's where the battle comes. You're trying to move in that new identity. You're trying to move in who God's called you to be. And all the time, the enemy is trying to pull you back down into the person you used to be, trying to bring up your past. Listen, when he brings up your past, you bring up his future. I remember standing on a platform one Sunday, Spirit of God moving like Sean was talking about in waves. God's blessing. I'm getting ready to lead that service. And the enemy slipped up there and sat down next to me. And he said, you hadn't prayed like you ought to pray this week. You know you've been busy and you hadn't spent time in the Word like you ought to spend time in the Word this week. And I mean, he got to talking to me, and I got to listening to that for a few minutes. And I'm standing up here thinking, I didn't pray all I needed to pray this week. And I didn't spend all the time I need to spend in the Word this week. And then it just dawned on me. I said, wait a minute, stop. I said, excuse me, Mr. Devil, but I'm not standing up here in my own righteousness. I'm standing up here in his righteousness. I never pray enough. I never read the word enough. I always fall short. But it's not up to me, hallelujah. It's his blood that redeemed me and made me worthy. It's the blood that makes us worthy today. I just come to encourage somebody today and tell you, the storm's not going to tear you up, but the storm's going to take you up. Stand with me. Henry Ford is quoted as saying, when everything seems to be going against you, remember that the airplane takes off against the wind, not with it. Christian man lost his home and his meal when a flood washed him away. He was broken hearted and discouraged as he stood surviving.